0: This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl.
1: Don't talk that.
0: Welcome to Yak Radio. The radio show that's about well, who knows. It's a different topic every week, but Yak Radio is always full of information to help you and your family get through life. Now here's
1: your Yak Radio host, Dave Stall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell that. All right, folks, welcome to Yak Radio with Dave Stahl, FM 96.1 AM 1170. The Answer, the second brought to you by Southwest Point of Sale. If you own a grocery store, liquor store, or any kind of a retail store, and you're having trouble keeping employees, well, I've got an answer for you. Do like the big dogs do, Home Depot, Costco, Walmart. Do a uh, point of sale system where it's a self-checkout for your store. That's right. The labor costs are skyrocketing, and self-checkout is the solution. How do you go about that? Call 800-540-2149. Talk to Jeff, Mark, Beth, Ted, Tony, or Ramon. They're an affiliation with National Cash Register, so you know they're legit. They, uh, they will come out to your facility, take a look, and if you meet their standards and it's good for you and good for them, Then you'll get seven days a week, 24 hour day service, and your headaches will be gone. 800-540-2149. Also, if you uh, are looking for propane and you're out in the East County area, you can't beat San Diego propane. Go to stpropane.com, talk to Dave and the family, tell them I sent you, 619-460-1705. Saved me a ton of money. And last but not least, West Escondido Auto & Trans, Four locations for your uh, uh, services, Uh, Escondido, uh, uh, San Diego, Miramar Road, and La Mesa. Just go to westautomotivegroup.com, NAP Auto Care ASC Certified. They are the best. All right, I got an interview on a Porsche 2021 Porsche 911 Carrera S Cabriolet. It was a rather long interview, so I didn't get it all in uh, last week, so I'm rerunning it. So take a listen to Luke and I. It'll be broken in two parts because it's so big. And relax, you may need a 911. All right, folks. Hey, I've got my good buddy, uh, Luke uh, Van Der Zand. Uh, he is with Porsche, and he was kind enough to loan me a 911 Carrera S, which i got to tell you, folks, if you've not been in one, <laughs> you've got to be in one. And we were talking a little bit off air with Luke. Uh, how how Porsche has stayed true to its heritage almost since day one and, and I think that's that's quite a testament to the car except you put some serious horsepower in this 911 carrera
0: yeah well first of all Dave thanks as always for having me on it's always a pleasure to be here to talk with you um, always a pleasure to talk cars and uh, and, and yeah you're, you're spot on it's uh, it's not a slow car with 443 horsepower and zero to 60 that's easy to achieve um, in three and a half seconds um, with the new eight-speed PDK that um, the eighth generation 911s uh, come with. It's, it's nothing short of exciting to drive, but I think you've already experienced that quite a bit.
1: Well, you know, you're right. And, you know, of course, everybody and their brother says, how fast did you go? How fast did you go? I go, well, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I've, the first couple of days that I've driven it, I've just driven it like a car you know I haven't you know I'm not on a racetrack so I'm not gonna go out and do anything stupid but I wanted to see how it drove just as an everyday driver and I gotta tell you it is amazing it's comfortable it's responsive it's easy to operate it's you don't have to have a degree from MIT I mean it's everything that you could you would want but then if you need to go up into julian and go through the twisties then you have it and it's it's a car that's you know as far as i'm concerned and this is from track experience it's very forgiving it's it's a kind of a car that if you're not the greatest driver in the world it'll make you think you're the greatest driver in the world uh and, and i love you know the silver with the red interior with the red seats uh heated and cooled top coat i mean Everything about this car, and I'm not normally a convertible kind of guy, to be really honest with you, but I really, really have become one with this car. I've been running around with a top-down, and it's just just a very, very doable car.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's extremely approachable. You know, a friend of mine actually um, who works at Porsche once described it to me in a way that I've stolen from him several times and that I'll continue to do. He said that driving, and we talk a little bit, uh, in, in kind of nerdy terminology, so you'll have to forgive me here. What uh, we talk sometimes in terms of model generations, and the eighth generation 911 is the 992. So it can get a little bit a little bit confusing because we talk in a lot of numbers. But the 992 generation 911, um, which is on a new platform and has uh, front track width that uh, goes up by almost two inches, it's 1.8 inches wider. Uh, makes for a really approachable and really really forgiving sports car to drive the way that he described it to me uh the first time that he drove it was he said it's almost like putting on the iron man suit um you know it's just it's just amazing how it'll make you into a you know as good a driver as you can be and then take you even a little bit further um you know with that eight speed pdk you get uh, standard ptv plus that's porsche torque vectoring plus which is an electronically controlled and Fully uh, variable in terms of torque distribution, uh, locking rear differential that really helps you to carry speed through the corners. Um, And, you know, with the car you're driving, it's equipped with uh, the optional sport exhaust, which is a lot of fun to listen to when the top is down and while you're pushing it in uh, in, in the twisties just a little bit or maybe while you're cruising around town. And what you said before, you know, you're absolutely right. The nice thing about that car is that it's every bit the sports car that you want when you want it to be that way. But at the same time, you know, the 911 has this really rich history of being um, a, an incredible everyday sports car where you have the practicality of the rear seats that you can toss, you know, a, a set of golf clubs back into or whatever you need to carry around, plus an awful lot of room in the front. You know, you can stack a couple of 22-inch roller boards um, if you're on your way to the airport, and then you still have more room behind you. So, you know, it's a very easy car to live with. And it really just never disappoints you in terms of how quick it is and how capable it is. It just it makes you feel almost like a hero every time you drive it.
1: Without a doubt. Now, what was this? It was, it was uh, called rear steer? What?
0: Yeah, that's right. So the car you're driving is also equipped with rear axle steering. Um, and what it does is it makes the car feel more nimble and more agile. Um, at lower speeds where the rear wheels will turn out of phase, or in other words, in the opposite direction of the front wheels. Um, and then on, um, on higher speed roads, on highways, for example, um, the rear wheels turn just a little bit um, in the same direction as the front axle will turn. And so what that does is at low speed, it makes for a very nimble, very, uh, very quick steering car, but then at high speeds, uh, we talk about a virtual lengthening in the wheelbase, so it almost makes the car feel like it's a little bit longer, and it gives you a little bit of extra stability while you're driving at highway speeds. It makes the car very easy to drive over a long distance um, while you're perhaps going up to Los Angeles or uh, or, or making a drive over to uh, to Arizona or something along those lines.
1: Well, yeah, and and again, a typical Porsche you know DNA is. The instrumentation cluster, it's really driver-oriented, and the fact that you're able to take that right-side pod and put your map in there. You could put your, your G-meter in there. You can, you can really put a lot of different information in there depending on what you're doing. And having the map there is nice because you don't have to really take your eyes off the wheel or off the, the front end while you're driving if you happen to be looking for a specific area. And I like the fact that that was put in there. That's really a nice touch.
0: Yeah, you know, the the gauge cluster design in the new 911 generation really does do a good job of incorporating technology while still maintaining that connection to our history of building sports cars for for such a long time. And one of the things you notice when you look at that is that on the left and the right-hand sides, you have those digital Uh, Screens. You have those high-resolution screens where you can have your navigation, you can have um, different readouts depending on what you want to see. But then in the middle, you still have an analog tachometer that's centrally located and gives you a really clear view of where the engine is in its rev range, which, as you know, is really important if you're driving the car um, in kind of a sportier way.
1: Absolutely. And a lot of people that I've showed the car to, they all want to know, why is the key on the left side well you know i know because i bring that up uh whenever i have it on television and that was that harkens back to Lama. you guys Correct. gained what two or three seconds off the starting line by the driver being able to turn the key with his left hand and put it in first gear with his right which is just yep. a great touch.
0: yep no that's absolutely right like so many other things in porsche um the key being on the left hand side that's exactly true Uh, Dates back to the Le Mans start back when drivers used to start the race, not in the cars, but uh, but standing side by side and running toward them. And then, yep, having that extra little bit of time, just that fraction of uh, of a second, really, uh, that you can have if you're twisting the key with your left and putting the car in gear with your right versus having to fumble with things and move stuff around. That's that's important. And when we talk about racing, fractions of a second make uh, make all the difference.
1: Hey, folks, hey, welcome back. You're listening to Yak Radio with Dave Stahl. Happy Fourth of July, folks. This segment brought to you by Bumper Doc Santee, scratches, dings, and dents. 8711 Magnolias in Santee. Go to Bumperdock.com for your window tint, scratches, dings, dents, lease returns, you name it, they do it. And did I mention this is FM 961 AM 1170, the answer. All right, let's go ahead and get back to Luke Vander Zantz product spokesperson for Porsche and talk more about the 911. Well, I don't know if you've seen my new YouTube uh, page because everybody's doing YouTubes. Uh, it's called uh, Cruz and I'll send you a link. Uh, and that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm going to put the uh, the Porsche on that and the, the the views we've been getting have just been off the charts. I got a really, really, really good uh, videographer. He's young. He came from KUSI TV and he just loves doing my car. So I've got that planned for tomorrow, so that'll be another hit uh, for you guys uh, as well. And I'll send you a clip of that. Uh, I, I tell you, man, you, this car is is one that, you know, okay, you can get it at a base of 129.9, and if you load it up, you can go all the way up to about 150 and change. But i got to tell you, the base model uh, Porsche will give you anything and everything you could ever want. I mean, unless you're a hard, hardcore enthusiast, you can, get, you can get a base model and be as happy as you possibly can.
0: Oh, there's no question. You know, and that's something that we see people saying, you know, quite a bit, actually, is that there, there is no base 911, so to speak. I mean, sure, there's a starting point for the model line, but the level yeah. of performance and the level of satisfaction that you get, even with just the standard 911 Carrera um, is, is really something that shouldn't be um, underestimated. It, it's just, you know, again, that history and lineage um, that you feel when you get into the car and start driving it is just something that's very difficult to replicate and something that um, even with the, uh, the, the most basic model is incredibly pronounced and, and kind of intangible. You have to drive it to understand
1: Well, it's funny, you'll love this. I pulled into Albertsons, had to pick up some groceries, and I pulled up right next to a red 911 Carrera, not an S, and this lady jumps out of it, and I gotta tell you, she had to be in her late 60s, early 70s. So she seen mine, and she goes, you know, I really wanted to get the Cabriolet, but you know, I didn't know about whether, you know, the security aspect and all that. So we stood there, we must have talked Porsche, For like 15 minutes and she gets in it she's looking and it looks to me like she's probably going to trade it in and get a cabriolet because she just loved that top-down look
0: i'm glad to hear that you know it's actually an interesting point because i used to uh drive a convertible myself and you know it was one of the things i worried about was security and you know sometimes people worry oh well can someone get in is it not really as secure could you do something with the top to try to, to break into the car. And actually, you know, the interesting thing about the car that you're driving is that it's almost, it's almost a convertible hard top. You know, we have yeah. cloth, um, over the, uh, over the roof mechanism, but if you were to dissect that, you'd actually find that it's, uh, it's, it's metal inside. And so as a result, um, there really wouldn't be much that you could do, um, shy, you know, shy of doing something a little bit more aggressive, but you know, you could do that with a coupe or with the cab. So from a security perspective, um, you know, it's interesting because there's really not anything to worry about there.
1: Well, and why would you leave valuables in a car? I don't care if it's a hard top or a convertible. If you have something of value like your purse, your cell phone, your iPad, pop the pop the trunk, put it in the front. I mean, just get it out of sight. It always kills me when people you know, are upset that their car was broken into. Well, if you don't leave anything in it, it won't get broken into.
0: Yep, clean cars are not appealing to thieves. At least that's been my experience.
1: That's been mine as well. Luke, this has been awesome. I can't wait for the next. Uh, I've already had people say the TV stations. Can we get a Macon? Can we get a Macan? I says, Well, we'll see what we'll see what's in the press fleet, and then of course, sure. and I do want to get another Panamera. It's been a while since I've been in a Panamera, and I've gotten a lot of people because that's one thing I do with your cars when mm-hmm. I take. God, I take rides after ride after ride after ride, and I'm known here in Alpine as the car guy, so whenever I go to a local restaurant, I always make sure that I leave it unlocked, the windows are down, and pictures and people sitting in it. I Good. mean, i have to tell you one story. So I had a Rolls-Royce a Ghost, and the owner of the restaurant really wanted to see it, so I went and picked her and her husband up, and this other couple were standing there with him, and they got in the car, and, you know, and I'm driving down the freeway, and I'm telling them all about it. We get back, and they get out, and, and Nikki and her husband thanked me, and, and I looked at the other couple, and I said, so what did you think? She goes, oh, I'd give anything to get this car. I said, so how long have you known Nikki? She says, we don't know Nikki. I go, you don't know these people? She goes, no, we didn't know it. You opened the door, and you're offered a ride, so we took it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know,
1: I all I can say is, uh,
0: you know, I appreciate the uh, the brand ambassadorship because if you're excited about the cars and you're willing to give people a ride, they're going to be as excited to get in and see what they're all about. So that's great. Um, and you know, in terms of getting a little bit of time in a Panamera or in a Macan, you know, that's definitely something we can set up. Um, I'll put you in touch with my friend and colleague Shelby Aiken. She's responsible for the Panamera, Cayenne, and Macan model lines that we'd be more than happy to talk about setting something up i know she has some cars over with uh page one in los angeles so we could we could certainly make a plan
1: yeah let's make that happen and then we'll do the same thing uh do an interview on each car and if you're the interviewee i love talking to you if not i'm sure shelby's going to be just as informative
0: yeah she does a great job and um and yeah i'll i'll make sure to put her in touch with you and then if there's anything else i can do to uh to help then just let me know um you know they're they're always fun cars to talk about and it's always great to uh to get a chance to chat as well so i appreciate you taking the time
1: oh my pleasure and anytime porsche is doing something whether it's due to you know within the community the environment or any of that kind of stuff all you have to do is reach out that's what's nice about doing five hours of radio i got plenty Mm -hmm. of time all right buddy well i should ask you
0: um you know, are you, are you able to travel these days? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. We have a couple of embargo drives happening in LA. They're fully subscribed at the moment, but uh, I think in both cases, the cars we're going to be working with, we're going to have uh, on trucks back to Atlanta. And then the nice thing about our, uh, our building um, and our, our campus, if you, I guess I can start calling it something along those lines um, here in Atlanta is that um we have a uh a hotel that's on practically on property it isn't actually on property it's technically it's a it's a separate business um but it's walking distance from the ho- uh, from from our office and you know i don't know uh how often you've been uh out to georgia to go drive but we have some some pretty entertaining uh mountain roads north oh, yeah. of the city um and so what we're what we're probably going to start doing Um, is we'll probably ship the cars that we're working with uh, back to Atlanta and then offer folks a chance to fly in, um, drive the next day, and then either, you know, stay that night if there isn't a convenient flight to go home or to just, you know, jump on a a plane and head back. Another nice thing about being in Atlanta with all those direct flights. So, yeah, we'll, um, you know, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I didn't want you to feel left out. Um, You know, you will start seeing some stuff uh, popping up. Here in the not too distant future, um, and you know we'll just talk about a way that we could uh, potentially make something happen um, if you're able to to come out and pay us a visit here in Georgia.
1: Absolutely, love to. So all you have to do is you tell me when, and we'll make it happen.
0: Most excellent. Well, thank you once again.
1: Back. You are listening to Yak Radio with Dave Stahl right here on FM 96.1 AM 1170, The Answer. This segment is brought to you by San Diego Gear and Axle, located on 1488 Pioneer Way in El Cajon. If you have any kind of driveline issues, whether it's uh, you know, whatever it could be, these guys will definitely take care of all of your automotive needs. Go to sdgearaxle.com all right hey i did another interview with uh, jonathan ingram he did a really good book called crash i mean, it was a history of the hans device and you know we got to mentioning how much i enjoy uh earnhardt and he says well you know i wrote a kind of a small book about earnhardt you might be interested in it well let me tell you what it's one of the best ones i've read so, I sat down, and now we have another long interview. So, if you're an Earnhardt fan, break out the tissues and enjoy. Well, folks, you all know how much of a big Earnhardt fan I am. Well, I had read Jonathan Ingram's book about Crash Senator Earnhardt about the Hans device, and I really, really, really enjoyed the book, and I highly recommend you... you uh, Go to Jonathan's website or just Amazon or wherever you want to go and and grab that book. But in the conversation, he mentioned he did another book on Earnhardt. And it's Dale Earnhardt, The Life Story of a NASCAR Legend, unofficial, but it's only 48 pages. And i got to tell you, Jonathan, by the way, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Dave. It's good to be here once again.
1: You got a lot of information in 48 pages, and I think the biggest benefit to this, and I don't think I've seen this in any other book, is all of the stats that are in the back of the book, if if somebody's a stats person.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good format and a good combination of a lot of comments by Dale and others about Dale and uh, who he was, where he came from, and how he got to be such a success as a person and or as a businessman or as a race car driver. And uh, in addition to all those statistics, which are quite impressive. So I I really like the format of this book and I, I do think it covers a lot of ground despite its uh, slender size, let's say.
1: Well, and you know, slender size, you know, of course, nowadays with where with iPads and iPhones and, you know, Twitter and all that stuff. You know, nobody likes a full 400-page book anymore, which I don't have a problem with it. But for you to be able to condense it to where it, 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 you know, it's almost like you didn't need 400 pages to tell that story. Uh, you didn't get super in-depth into every single topic, but you, you touched enough about it to where the person was informed after they read the book. And, I, I, and the pictures, the, the photos are great. I mean and uh yeah he had uh, quite the life though I have to say. Uh
2: indeed and I but again I I I think you can sum up character uh in not that many words and uh I think that's what uh this book does. Let me let me give you a little bit of background on how this book came to be. I think that would be helpful.
1: Um,
2: sure. I was uh like many others, uh, devastated about Dale's disappearance uh, after getting killed in the last lap of the Daytona 500 in 2001. So, you know, I I just didn't want to do a a book about Dale. I, I just didn't think it was appropriate. But then I began seeing books by people who'd never met the man. And I thought, well, that's not right either. And uh, finally, I got a call from a publisher in London, Carlton Books, and they had this format called the Fanzine. And uh, it was designed for checkout stands at uh, Walmart, Kmart, a- and Target. And they had done one on uh, one or two on other athletes, Anna Kornikova, the tennis player, and Toby Bryant, and the basketball star. And it had worked well for them, so they, they uh, asked me, to do one on dale and by that time i thought you know somebody who really knew this guy (laughs) needs to do a book so that was that was the opportunity uh, uh, for me and again it was their format and i i grew to like it and and one thing that's important there are a lot of photos in there Um, and i I searched high and low to get a lot of early uh, career photos of dale before he was in the winston cup and family photos so I think that's a big plus to, that, to this book as well.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And, and you're right. That format is a really, really good format. I mean, it's, it, it works extremely well. But I got to tell you, brother, I mean, I'm, I'm heartbroken every day that he's no longer with us. But I can't imagine if I would have ever met him how I would feel. I, I think it would be even worse. Because uh, I think it. Oh my gosh! I can't even. I can't even imagine it.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I. It got to no tail after many many years on the NASCAR beat, uh, and I ended up at the Autosport banquet, which is in London. Autosport, of course, is the bible of racing in the English language around the world, mm-hmm. and they have a huge uh, banquet. Each, uh, year at the end of the season. And, uh, because of Dale's uh, extraordinary efforts during the 96 season, which was, uh, in, which included the accident at Talladega, where he broke his collarbone and he broke his sternum, cracked his sternum. And then, right. you know, came back and won the pole at Watkins Glen and darn near won the race. Um, uh, So I wrote an editorial about that for Autosport, that particular Watkins Glen effort at the request of the editor. And that got a really strong response. So Autosport uh, decided to give Dale the Gregor Grant Award, which is a special award that they have every year for a person they think deserving of recognition. But I think most of all, there there were a lot of people at Autosport that thought it would be cool to have Dale at at the banquet and for, and to meet and talk with all the other folks there, so who were you know dominated by the Formula One crowd and uh, the European racing uh, cognoscenti, I guess. So uh, anyhow, that's when <laughs> that's when Dale and I really got to be friends. You know, I, I showed up at the table. I mean, it's a huge banquet hall. I mean, remember Dick Trickle could say uh, would say uh, racing at Bristol was like flying a jet fighter around uh, a gymnasium. Well, you know, you probably could have flown a jet fighter around the the ballroom at the Grove Center Hotel where this banquet is. You know, it had tiered balconies. I mean, it's just a huge place in in London, uh, you know, one of the biggest cities in the world. So I arrived at my table, and, uh, you know, Dale was there with Teresa. He was pretty nervous, so he got there way early. And uh, he looked up. He said, well, what are you doing here? And I I said, well, I I write about NASCAR for Autosport. So, I mean, you know, he's a smart guy. He figured I had something to do with him getting that invitation. So he is notoriously, he was notoriously nervous when he was out of his own element. Oh yeah. So this was way out of his own element. And so he said, he just blurted out, he said, well, I don't hardly know what I'm doing here. And I, I, (laughs) you know, and that would be Dale. So I, I, you know, once upon a time when he was so inarticulate and shy, you know, Humpy Wheeler decided to break him out of that mold and uh, invited him to a Chamber of Commerce meeting somewhere close to maybe probably Concord, uh, one of those places. And, you know, he, they set out for lunch and Dale was there at Humpy's table. And he said, well, you know, what do you guys do at these meetings? And uh, Humpy said, well, we have lunch and enjoy a fellowship, and then we have a guest speaker. And Dale said, well, who's the guest speaker today? <laughs> and Humpy said, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that was way early in Dale's career, and that's how he got over his fear of public speaking. Uh, and and Humpy said, you know, these guys know all about business. They want to know more about stock car racing. So. Right. That was humpy at his best he knew NASCAR needed some younger stars and and he had worked real hard on trying to promote dale up until that point so you know just part of the humpy's care and upbringing of of dale and he had several people in his career that were like that robert g um his the father-in-law of his uh second wife and father uh grandfather to dale jr and a you know short track car builder and uh who else did he have besides Humpy, Robert G. Uh, so, you know, there were always people looking out for ways to help Dale because they recognized his tremendous talent. And uh, so, you know, we're there at the auto sport banquet and Dale says, well, I don't hardly know what I'm doing here. And I said, well, you remember that chamber of commerce meeting you went to with Humpy Wheeler way back when he said, yeah, I said, I I waved my arms and I said, all these people here, they know all about formula one. They want to know more about stock car racing. That's why you're here. So that kind of settled him down. So we, we got to be friends after having dinner that night. He, he had some really interesting things to say, uh, in receiving his, his award. And, uh, you know, they brought Martin Brundle up there who raced IROC with him to talk with him. Uh, and he announced that Larry McReynolds was his new crew chief. So it was a big night. And, uh, So that's how I got to be really friends with Dale in the sense that he recognized that I'd probably be one of those people that would accurately tell his story. I don't, you know, we weren't close friends, but within the paddock and um, among the the writers, you know, he he, uh, and I always enjoyed a good relationship after that banquet. So um, that helped me, you know, two ways to write the book. One is that I, again, I was motivated because I, I thought I knew him as well as anybody in the on the media side, and uh, maybe as well as most people. And then the other was, of course, all the books that came out. There were over thirty books on Dale. I know were writ- written by people who never met the man. So in some cases, so those those were those were my motivations. And uh, this particular book launched my book writing career quite frankly it it led to several other books and that's how i got started as an author really no kidding
1: Welcome back. You are listening to Yak Radio with Dave Stahl, FM 961AM 1170. The answer to the site is brought to you by John's Automotive and Repair. Go to 7447 University Avenue, Napa Auto Care ASC certified. Nobody takes care of you better than a Napa Auto Care AAA approved shop. And that's what John runs. He has two of them, in fact. Let's go to his website, John's with an S, San Diego Auto Repair.com. Okay, let's listen to the last. Chunk of Earnhardt. Well, you know, the only story I can tell you, as close as I got to him, and I might have told you this at our last interview when we were doing Crash, Sena to Earnhardt, the story of the Hans device. I was at SEMA the year Earnhardt passed away, and they had Kevin Harvick's black and white 29 transporter. Did I tell you this story?
2: Uh, No, the transporter's a new wrinkle, so yeah, let
1: me hear it. I'm at at SEMA, and you know, and I cover NASCAR, but I've never really been in a hauler, you know, what I would consider a top tier hauler, you know, so, and I kind of picked up on Harvick after Earnhardt passed away, and he was kind of my guy. Not 100%, but he was kind of my guy. So I walked there, no one was there, and I was looking around, and I walked up inside, and some guys were at the other end, and they said, you know. And I asked him, I said, do you any problem with me? Just I've never been in a hall." He said, "No, no, no, go ahead." And then something—I know this—you're not going to believe it—but something came over me, and I got really, I got chills, and, and uh-huh. I just had this really weird feeling. And and the guy guy noticed it. He says, "Are you all right?" I says. Yeah, but, man, I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but I'm getting some really weird chills going on here. He says, were you an Earnhardt fan? I says, oh, <laughs> you have no idea. He said, well, this was his hauler in Daytona, and I just about lost it. And he said, we don't normally do this, he says, but go up into the into his lounge, and you can sit there as long as you like. And I did. I went up there, and I'm going to tell you, on air, I cried like, I I mean, that was the first time I broke down. And that Uh experience is just probably just as important to me as your experience at the banquet. But it was just like he was there. and Oh, my God. So that's my little name to fame. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I think that's the kind of ongoing uh, influence that that Dale has and you know, there are pages that I uh, am a member of that are, are groups that, you know, are dedicated to Dale and uh, one I like in particular. And, you know, you, you hear those, you see those stories all the time, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're posted regularly. It doesn't have to be some sort of, you know, occasion like a Daytona race or a Talladega race or a, you know, Dale's birthday or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, people are just posting those kind of stories all the time and, and photos and, uh you know, reminiscing. And it, it's just, uh it's kind of a, still a, a, an amazing story. So I, I'm, uh again, proud to, you know, be oh, part yeah. of it, to have been in a place where I could tell a story. And, and, you know, again, that's kind of the relationship I have with Dale. I mean, he knew that I was didn't think he was washed up in those years uh, when he, like he fell asleep at the wheel at Darlington, which, you know, come to find out later was as a result of uh, he was taking pain pills for his neck injury, which, you know, he, he suffered first at Saladiga in 96 and then he re-injured it when uh, in the flip at Daytona in 97 on the closing laps with uh, was in his battle with uh, Jeff Gordon, which which he lost, and uh, but then won by getting back in the car and finishing the race. So that that neck injury was bothering him. He wouldn't have surgery, and he's Larry McReynolds confided to me later that he, he was taking you know pain medication, and that's what why he fell asleep at the wheel at at, at Darlington. But through all that, I think he you know he recognized I wasn't somebody he thought he was washed up, and there right. are there were some notable writers with established reputations that he didn't get along with uh, right. that you know did say more or less he was he was washed up and of course he had a great season in 2000 nearly nearly won the the championship so uh, you know uh, like I said I, I guess that was there chapter and verse I met him when he was a rookie uh, at Darlington right after he won his first race at Bristol I didn't cover that race but then I, I did cover following year his first super speedway race which was part of at victory i should say at at uh, the Atlanta Motor Speedway the year he won the championship so suitcase Jake Elder was his crew chief so um yeah so like i say i i i was fortunate to be the right place the right time to meet Dale the year he first set foot in the cup and then follow it all the way through and to eventually get to know him it took me 16 years <laughs>
1: Well, you are.
2: Excuse
1: me, you are one lucky individual. Now check this out. I went to high school with Jeff Gordon's dad. Oh, really? (laughs) What a jerk that kid was. I gotta tell you, he was best thing ever happened to Jeff when his Bickford took him uh, to the Midwest. But yeah, good old Billy Gordon. I'll never. I mean, I remember that. I mean, I we kind of stay in semi contact, but. Yeah, he was quite the kid. All right, buddy. Hey, we gotta go. You're only supposed to be on for ten minutes, but that's because I'm an Earnhardt fan and I can do what I want. We will talk more because I have a sneaky feeling you've got a lot more stories. Are you thinking about doing anything more on Earnhardt? Because really, that really pretty much took care of the book, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Uh, Well, I I often wonder. I, I think I mentioned this the last time. I often wonder. What would have happened if Dale had been able to follow through on starting his Corvette team to race at the Le Mans 24-hour? He
1: would have won. He
2: would have won. So, so and he I, would
1: have ended I'll, up being another Hendrick. I think, he, I think if he would have been with us to this day, he would own a team, and it would be just as formidable as Hendrick, uh, you know, and, uh, the Ganassi's, because he knew how to – he knew how to get the car around the track, and, and I thought he—I still don't. And I like I said, I never met him, but I think I—he knew how to motivate people.
2: Right, right. Uh, I think Dale Jr. likely would have won a championship if, if his dad had stayed around. So.
1: Right. Uh, yeah.
2: Motivation yeah. and discipline.
1: But but Dale Jr. just wasn't the driver his dad was, you know.
2: Uh, that, that's true, but, uh, most of the guys that have won championships fall into that category. So, yeah. uh, you know, he was a once in a lifetime talent yeah. that you don't see just like, say, and Senna, you just don't see him that often. And Jeff Gordon would be a, a, another that falls into yeah. that category. But, uh, yeah, I, I, think, uh, well, Junior, there were a lot of things going on there, but it, the biggest flaw in the ointment was that he, he didn't have the endurance that no. uh, Dale Sr. had or any great uh, driver or championship driver has. It's that physical right. endurance, stamina. And I, I confirm that in various ways. But also Dale Jr., he he didn't do anything about it. You know, look at Jimmy no. Johnson compared to Dale Jr. in terms of his workout regimen. Uh, so he – not only did he not have his dad's uh, stamina, he didn't have his uh, – he. he like his father, he believed that the only way to be in shape to drive a race car was to drive one, and uh, I, 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 he was definitely more indulgent than his dad when it came to drinking Budweiser. So, yeah, Junior uh, was
1: more Junior was more about the party, and Dale was more about the trophy.
2: Uh yes, that yeah. that sums up another significant difference. Yeah. So, but if Dale had been around, you oh. know. That might have been different because Dale realized how bad a shape he was in when he drove, practiced the Corvette, Dale yeah. Senior at at Sebring, prior to running in the 24-hour in 2001 in the Corvette sharing it with Junior, and yeah. he realized how out of shape he was, and uh, he got out. He was drenched in sweat from his his first full stint of a test at Sebring, and uh, you know he told uh, Doug Feehan, the team manager, "He said, I got to get get to the, get to the gym," you know. <laughs> That wore me out. So turning left and right, you know, was was a different experience. But uh, so, like, like I say, uh, uh, I think Senior would have known what was different about the era that Junior was racing in and would have made sure he paid attention. But that's just my speculation. I, oh, I love Dale Junior. He's a great, great, oh, yeah. great uh, credit to the sport.
1: Without a shadow. of a doubt. And he yeah. does that great podcast that's out here. Uh, every day, which is really good. So, all right, yeah. <clears throat> we'll have to call and talk next time. And and I'd like to get your your take on uh, Jimmy Johnson trying to take on uh, IndyCar.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, talk about <laughs> I do <have> humbling. One.
1: <laughs> talk about humbling. <laughs>
2: That's an interesting subject. So, anytime, Dave, or just uh, people can reach me at www.jingrambooks.com. And uh, my email is there, so uh, right, folks just want to chat, do whatever, I'm, I'm available.
1: All right, Jonathan.
2: Thank you very, very much. Always enjoy talking to you. Same here, Dave. Take care. All right, folks. Well,
1: I don't know. If you're an Earnhardt fan, you'd appreciate it. If not, you still would have, should appreciate it. It's the way I look at it. Uh, hanging out here. At, usually I'll do my car calendar, and I've got a little bit of room, I think, that I can knock out some of it. If nothing else, the weekly stuff. Uh, The weekly stuff is definitely worthwhile every Wednesday. The Wednesday breakfast group at El Cajon at Bonnie's starts at 7 a.m. Also every Wednesday, uh, Cajon Classic Cruise uh, every Thursday. La Mesa is now started up, so that's really cool, as of the 8th. So that'll be next week. Uh, Ramon American Graffiti will be every Thursday. Don't Donut Derelicts every Saturday, starting on the 10th at Huntington Beach. Every Saturday, Rods and Relics in Bonzel starting at 7 a.m. Every Saturday, Dunkers and Clunkers in Bonitas starts at 7 a.m. Right there, 4414 Bonita Road behind the B of A and the Arco Gas Station. Every Saturday, Poinsettia Village Shopping Center, Cars and Coffee, 7 a.m. in Carlsbad. Every Saturday, Oceanside Cruiser Breakfast starts at 8.30 at the Start Fresh Cafe at 1034 South Coast Highway. Also, every Saturday, South Orange uh, County Cars and Coffee. That's in San Clemente, right there at the outlets. And then every Sunday, uh, Car Folks Sunday. That's in El Cajon at the American Retro. And then every Sunday, Cars and Coffee at Kit Carson Park in Escondido, which I think is a pretty cool location. Uh, The first Saturday, in and out Burger in Poway up there on uh, Scripps Poway Parkway and Community Road. First Sunday, Mary's Donuts right there at Carlton Hills and Santee. Third Thursday, Encinitas Cars and Class Car Night. That's really a good one. Starts at 530. The third Sunday, Cars and Coffee in La Mesa. The fourth Saturday, Cars and Coffee event. That's at Foothill Church. Uh, last Saturday of the month, Santee Drive-In. They do a classic rod and custom show. And that starts at 9 a.m. And then the first Sunday, Mary's Donuts uh, in Carlton Hills. I thought I already did that. Yeah, it's the first Sunday. I already did that one. So it should be a lot of fun. There was a car show at Bates Nut Farm today. Uh, the next uh, show is the 18th annual San Juan Capistrano Rotary Car Show. And then Run to Lake Cuyamaca on the 11th. And then 50th Pine Valley Days Parade on the 31st. So if you got them, Drive them. All right, don't go anywhere. You ought to know right around the corner. Got a couple of great interviews, plus Brian and Kristen Barclay, right here on FM 96.1 AM 1170, The Answer. Uh, Ha, ha, ha.